BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I'm going to get my Pac-12 picks. We're going to talk a little bit about the game formerly known as the Civil War. I've got some new insight, some new intel into what's going on at Oregon and Oregon State as it pertains to the name of this game. But most of you, I'm going to gather, still call it the Civil War. We'll dive into that in this hour here on the show. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. If you have a free subscription or a paid subscription, you already know that. Jack Coletto. Oregon State linebacker, running back, quarterback, Swiss Army knife. He'll be joining us on the show, 3.30. Be here for that. Uh, we'll talk Ducks with Matt Prima of 24-7 Sports. He covers the Ducks beat. We'll do that at 4 o'clock. Talk a little bit about what you're thankful for, what I'm thankful for when it comes to life and sports. And, oh, by the way, does it bother you the way that it bothers me? that some people take things for granted that they should be thankful for? I don't know what you call that, but I have that, whatever that affliction is. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Talk about the Pac-12 scenarios, the recent change atop Disney. Does it affect ESPN? Would it affect the potential deal that the Pac-12 conference has in and, uh, by the way, is UCLA going to end up in the Pac-12 or out of the Pac-12? The hokey pokey has to end at some point. But we're going to start today's show, uh, first of all, by uh, t- talking about where I'm leaning, where Steven's leaning. Uh, who else we got in studio down there? Peter's down there where Peter's leaning on these Pac-12 games. I definitely have feelings on that. I have found the last two weeks to be difficult in making my picks. This week, not so much. I feel like I'm back at it this week, and I had a much easier time looking at these games, and so my lean, so to speak, today may end up where I end up on all of these games because I feel pretty good about the picks, and a lot of times around about Tuesday I'm going, well, maybe I see this, maybe I don't. I feel good right now about what I'm seeing in the Pac-12 conference, and so we will dive into it. Let's do it right off the uh, top of the show today. Let's start with the Friday games, guys. Two games on Friday. Arizona State plays at Arizona, 12 o'clock on FS1 Friday. By the way, FS1 is uh, told Arizona and Arizona State they will be broadcasting the game remotely. They will not have broadcasters inside the stadium. This has been a long frustration for fans across the Pac-12 as they have watched the FS1 games on Friday in particular get called from a studio in Southern California. It's going to happen again. It's disappointing. Maybe it's because it's Arizona, Arizona State, and both those teams are not very good this season. Neither one of them is going to a bowl, but uh, probably more likely it's part of the FS1 fiasco and the mess that is going on. Yes, I get it. More and more remote broadcasts in sports are, are a thing. They're happening. But the World Cup games are not being called remotely. We have our broadcasters from the United States over in Qatar calling those games. So, uh, you know, if you are a Pac-12 fan, uh, tune into the Arizona-Arizona State game on Friday, on Black Friday. Check it out. Tell me if you notice it. Tell me if it bothers you. There are There is just stuff that you can't pick up from a remote broadcast that you do pick up being in the stadium. I know it. I've watched games on TV. A lot gets left out. 
I see a lot of things when I'm inside the stadium, and I'll see a lot of things coming up this weekend when I'm at Research Stadium for Oregon, Oregon State that I just wouldn't catch at home. I'm not saying everybody in the world needs to be there. I'm just saying it's a different experience when you're a journalist covering a game from inside the stadium versus calling it remotely. Uh, Arizona State's at Arizona, 12 o'clock Friday, FS1. Uh, I, don't, I really don't like the way Arizona State has competed in the last month. They feel to me like an NBA team that's looking into the draft lottery. One, two, three, Cancun. Uh, also, Arizona's at home in this game. They're a home favorite in this game. The Territorial Cup, it's going to Arizona. Like, this is clear. But Arizona's a four-point favorite, and I think they cover it easily. I have it Arizona 34, Arizona State 21 at this point. Guys, what do you see? Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, Arizona being at home, I think they want to finish the season strong. They didn't get the job done against Washington State, but Arizona State, didn't. they looked lifeless against Oregon State, and I thought they would come out a little stronger. Uh, they didn't, so I don't expect them to do it this week. Uh, I like Arizona laying the points as well. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I always struggle with bad teams that are playing yeah. each other. I mean, both these teams have lost four or five. At least Arizona does have the uh, the win against UCLA. I mean, Arizona State's win was against Colorado, uh, and they still gave up 34 points. So I feel pretty good. Arizona minus four. Arizona, Arizona, oh, yeah, this is one of those games where it, it goes to that trend that you've been saying all year, John. Like home I, favorites. Yeah, the home favorites. Yep. Like I have to lean to that on this game. Home favorites are dominant this season in the Pac-12, and you know I talked to Jay Cornegay, who is the uh, who does the sports book at the Westgate Superbook. You know they they set the lines in six states, and I mentioned the home favorite thing to him, and he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "You know that's a thing for you guys to focus on." He goes, "But we're not looking at that when we set the line." He goes, "We're just setting the line," and I go, "Hey, keep setting the line because home favorites are cleaning up." In these games, and Arizona State, like I always say, you know, you talk about bad teams, Peter. Like there's four, there's two components to a team. There's offense and there's defense, right? And so when I look at um, when I look at this this matchup, you know Arizona State's offense is not good. Arizona State's defense is not good. Arizona's defense is not good. But guess what? Arizona's offense is pretty good. So I think the best unit on this team on either side is the Arizona offense. I think it wins the game. Uh, UCLA's at Cal on Friday. Cal is uh, this game's at 1:30 on Fox. And UCLA is a 10-point favorite. To me, this is a mentality game, 100%. This is a psychology game. Cal, it, you know, its season, I think, ended last week. They beat Stanford. They scored 21 in the fourth quarter. They won the big game. It was, you know, it was like their bowl game uh, at Cal. UCLA lost to USC, and there may be a little letdown here in this game. But I think UCLA is so much better than Cal that it will not be close unless the Bruins just totally mail it in. I have it like 42-17. UCLA covers the 10 points. Oh, I have nothing. I have no idea what to do uh, with this game. You know, is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, is he going to be super healthy? I know there was questions going into the USC game. Um, I'm going to take Cal on the points in this one. I don't feel good about it. Um, you know, I'm going to go against you, John. I hope this isn't one of those games where you feel good about it. I feel good about it. You do? Oh, man. Well, we'll, we'll see, though. I'm going we'll to take Cal plus the points. I think uh, you know this is one of those spots where Wilcox maybe gets him up a little bit, maybe. trying to keep him close. They, they've just been so bad. They have, but I, I think you, you, the UCLA loss to USC last week has taken a lot out of them. It's huge. And, and I just, I'm just i kind of looking at UCLA going, okay, it's a bunch of transfers. You're right about Dorian Thompson-Robinson. You know, he's probably looking to the draft. Does he need to play in this game? Does he need to play in a potential bowl game that will be kind of a 
marginal bowl game by UCLA standards. Like he made that he may have played his last game. I don't know. And we saw what UCLA did against Arizona. I think that could happen again where they just sleepwalk through the game. So yeah. I'm gonna take Cal plus the point. I, Cal's so bad. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Put my can't put my reputation on Cal. Peter, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, look, Cal got there. We got rid of our offensive coordinator bump last game. I called that win. I was feeling bad about it till the fourth quarter. They're going to come back to earth. They're not going to score twenty seven again. It's going to go back to the norm. UCLA minus the ten. Yeah, they they pretty much scored seven on defense. They had a little uh, interception. They almost ran back for a touchdown. They had a really short field. Oregon's at Oregon State. 12.30 Saturday, ABC. Let's just hear it for... I'm thankful for the 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. I think it's going to be a great game between two really good bowl-bound teams. How healthy is Bo Nix? We'll find out more at 4 o'clock when we talk to Matt Prima, 24-7 Sports. And This is where I may flip my pick because that's the big question. Like, you know, Is he healthier? Marginally healthier? Is he? Is it an incremental step? Is it a massive improvement? Because if Bo Nix can't run, if he can't attack Oregon State's defense as a runner, then I think I like Oregon State in this game. Oregon State is getting three and a half points. Oregon's the favorite. The Beavers, they have Ben Goldbrinson, who, who I think is making incremental improvements. The run game looks like it's peaking. The Beavers are at home where they're 10-1 and one in their last 11. Only lost to USC by three points. I mean, that's a that's a good loss. The defense for Oregon State has given up 7-3, 24 to Washington, 9 to Colorado, 10 to Washington State. I think Oregon's going to score somewhere between 21 and 27 points in this game. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think I have the Beavers 28, the Ducks 27. And uh, so the pick would be Oregon State to win the game outright as an underdog. But uh, I, I am, you know, I'm going to wait and see what I hear about Bo Nix. But right now, I'm leaning Beavers. Yeah, I, I'm going to follow suit here. I, I think I might change my pick based on what Matt Prem says later on today in the show. But right now, I'm going to lean Beavs plus the points. They've just been so good at Research Stadium. And if Bo Nix is anything like he was against Utah, I think that Oregon State defense can take advantage if they don't have to worry about that run game out of Bo. Uh, so I'm going to take the Beavs plus the points. But I think I might change this pick later on in the week. It may not, though. I'm going with the Ducks. Uh, I feel a lot worse about it at three and a half than I do at three. But I mean, look, Bo Nix, he he wasn't mobile, but he was good enough to win against Utah another week of health. And I watched Jonathan Smith's presser uh, yesterday afternoon. He rattled off like 11 guys that are yeah. varying levels of hurt. I mean, we're all t- focusing on this injury with good reason. But I mean, the, the Beavers are really, really banged up. So unless something changes, I'm going with the Ducks to cover. Utah's at Colorado, 1 p.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Utah is a 29-and-a-half-point favorite. I have uh, been waiting and waiting and waiting for Colorado to cover one of these massive point spreads. They have failed three weeks in a row. They got beat by 39 against Oregon, 38 against USC, and 47 against Washington in their last three. I think Colorado is looking to the offseason. You got Cam Rising, who hasn't looked good for Utah. It, I think it matters against a good opponent, but this is not a good opponent. I have it 42-10, Utah. I think they cover the 29-and-a-half. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you. You look at Utah, they've played some bad teams this year, and they've covered all these games, right? They beat Arizona by 25. Um, you know, They beat Stanford by 35. I think it's the same type of thing here, even though it is at Colorado. Not going to be huge uh, road advantage there. So I think Utah doesn't have to play well, uh, but they can cover that spread. Yeah, I mean, you could tell me the spread is 500 in this game, and I'm taking Utah. I mean, I've I've seen enough Colorado this year. I feel bad saying it, but it's true. Utah to cover. Notre Dame is at USC 4:30 Saturday on ABC. 
Uh, anybody who's listened to the show knows that I haven't wanted to like USC. Uh, they had their fancy schmancy coaching hire. They got all these high-profile transfers and that blasted marching band playing on and on and on. But USC's playing really well right now. And Caleb Williams outplayed Dorian Thompson-Robinson last week. They're sniffing around the playoff. You can you can just sense that they are smelling it. I like the Trojans, and I don't think Notre Dame can match the USC offense. USC is favored by five and a half. I think they cover it. I think it's something like 35-24 USC. I think Notre Dame covers this game. Uh, Marcus Freeman has been a great coach this year as an underdog. As a favorite, not so much, but you go back and look earlier in the year at Ohio State, covered that game. Uh, you know They beat Clemson. They were a little bit of an underdog in that game. When he's a favorite, that's when they lose. When he's the underdog, you know they uh, they beat BYU, they beat North Carolina as an underdog. I think that they cover this game, they keep it close. But I do think Notre Dame or USC gets the win. Uh, but I'm gonna take the points here uh, with the Fighting Irish on the road. Yeah, this is the toughest one for me. I mean, Notre Dame got off to such a poor start this season. They beat Clemson when they're number four. They beat Syracuse the week before. The offense is sort of picked up. And you look at USC, their challenges on defense though. It's mainly against the pass game where Notre Dame, you know, it's not like they're really relying on the deep ball. Tentatively, I'm glad this is a lean and not a pick. I'm going with USC to cover. Yeah, I just don't love Notre Dame. I mean, they they beat UNLV, they beat Syracuse. Yes, they beat they won they beat Clemson and then they followed that up by barely beating Navy. And you know, I just I'm not impressed. Is, uh, and, do you think this is the best defense USC's played all year? Yes, I think that, and I yeah. think that's going to be not, that's why not I have a problem. It, but, but I think they're going to score. That's why I have them at 35 and not 55. You know, it's <laughs> true, like that's true. Yeah. I, I really, like, I don't want to like Caleb Williams. Even on media day, I interviewed the guy. I didn't like him. Like, I like as a person, I, I sat here and I go, this isn't my kind of guy right here. He's, he's wearing designer clothes. He's got the label on the outside because he wants me to see it. He's flashing his watch at me. He's talking about, you know, me, me, me. And I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, how good, how good is this guy going to be? I didn't want to like him, but he's really good. And so I can't deny it. I think I think they win that game. Uh, let's see what happens. Washington's at Washington State, 7.30 Saturday on ESPN. It's a terrible kickoff time. Doesn't work for anyone except Washington State's defense. Keep an eye on the score. Keep an eye on the temperature. I looked at the forecast today. The forecast on Saturday night after 7.30 calls for clouds with snow showers or flurries. Low temperature, 31 it's going to be an apple freeze. And guess what Washington has? The number 85 ranked rushing attack in the country. I, I really like Kalen DeBoer. I want to say that for the Husky fans who are listening. Better than expected first season. But this game at Pullman, at set, kicking off at 730, Washington is favored by 2.5. I think they're going to lose the game. I think it's 30-28 to 28, Washington State in an upset. I think I agree with you, but I'm not quite there yet. I don't know. I, you know, it might change by tomorrow. But I think what's going to be important is Washington will know if they have a chance to get to the Pac-12 title game by kickoff. 100%. And so I think if that is true, Washington may get a little more boost, a little more motivation. But for that reason right now, I think I'm going to go with you. Washington State at, on the, at home in Pullman is going to be a tough game. Like you said, weather's bad. Washington not the best uh, physicality team, right? They're more of a uh, finesse team. Want to they throw they the ball don't around. run the ball. They don't yeah. want to run the ball. They don't want to run the ball. And so I think it's going to be a problem up in Pullman. 
So right now, give me Washington State, but I, I might convince myself tomorrow it's Washington. See, I'm looking at this, and I know snow flurries are different than 40-mile-an-hour winds and you know three inches of rain, but I watched Michael Penix on that last drive against Oregon State a few weeks ago, and he doesn't rely strictly on the deep ball. And if he's able, and I know Washington State's defense and their linebackers, they might be able to handle that sort of dink and dump game, but man, it was surgical what I saw. Give me Washington in two. I want to talk next about the Civil War football game. Yes, I'm calling it the Civil War. I talked to a couple professors today, history professors, who specialize in Civil War history. I wrote about it at johnconzano.com if you want to read it on the commercial break. But I want your, your take as well. What are you calling this game in your household and in your circle? 503-417-7575. Let me hear from you. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So I reached out, as I mentioned yesterday, to Oregon and Oregon State, and I asked them, hey, where are we on this renaming the rivalry game thing, uh, the game known as the Civil War for nearly a century? I got uh, basically, hey, nothing to see here from both Oregon and Oregon State. Had somebody yesterday who called in and said we should call the game formerly known as the Civil War, the Civil Was. Uh, I laughed at that, but today I went a little deeper, and I did it online at johnconzano.com. So forgive me if you are already a subscriber. Membership has its privileges. You received this already, if you already read me there. Um, and But, you know, Oregon State President Ed Ray retired in late June of 2020. This was two weeks before he went out the door. He got together with Michael Schill, the president at Oregon. They issued a statement, and they basically said they were going to change, drop the Civil War references. And he said, quote, changing this name is overdue as it represents a connection to a war fought to perpetrate slavery, end quote. And... So I've had a hard time with that because on one hand, I am of the mindset that if something is offensive, uh, it shouldn't be used. If something is offensive, even if it's not offensive to me, if it's offensive to a large group of people or even a medium size or even a small group of people, it's something we should consider and look at, right? So I don't blame people for looking at this. But some of you have argued uh, there's three points here, really. One of them is some people argue that the rivalry nickname, the Civil War, was never even a reference to the American Civil War. Others have argued that, hey, wait a minute, um, the actual result of the Civil War, a Union victory, and the eventual abolition of slavery was a positive association, and we should celebrate that. Other people think, hey, it's just poor form to recycle the name of a war that you know, left more than 600,000 people dead. It is the, uh, you know, the most casualties of any war, uh, you know, in in our, uh, you know, in our history. You know, 600,000 people died. So, you know, I get, like, I understand, like, we should totally look at this, but I'm not here for a debate on American history because I'm not an expert on American history. So, but what I did today is I reached out to six professors at Oregon and Oregon State to get their thoughts. And I did hear back from some. Now, I hadn't heard back at the time that I wrote the column because it's Thanksgiving week and, you know, I didn't expect them to be on call. But I did hear back now from some Civil War experts at Oregon in particular 
And I may write a follow-up column depending on you know where we go with these conversations, but it was the seventh inquiry that I published. It was uh, William Harris, who is a professor of history at the University of New Hampshire. He answered me. He answered me right away. That's Chip Kelly's uh, alma mater, by the way. It wasn't intentional. I literally went in search of, like, who are the foremost experts on the Civil War in the country? And Harris got back to me, and he said that there's, you know, the, the war was fought for different reasons. He said that, you know, some states went to war to preserve the Union. Some went to war to end slavery. Um, but he said the majority of people thought of the Civil War as an attempt to save the Union. And, and he said over time, people began to say this was a war to end slavery. But he said, this was an interesting quote he gave me. He said, at a minimum, to call the Civil War, quote, a war fought to perpetuate slavery, end quote, is interpreting the war as having only one side. Which, of course, he writes, is not how wars work. How should this apply to a football game in Oregon in 2022? He said, I can't answer that. But he said it would be one thing if one side dressed cheerleaders as Confederates, which I'm sure is not the case. He said, I'm guessing the nickname was nothing more than something intended to suggest that the rivalry was a big one. He said, as a historian, I would add to uh, summarize the war as one that was, quote-unquote, to perpetuate slavery rather than fought because of slavery, suggests a rather clueless university president. Bill Harris signed it, I published it, and I went into some depth uh, in the piece. Like, look, I just think it's, it's silly that Oregon and Oregon State decided to, you know, drop the Civil War name without having an alternate. It's silly that we're sitting here 30 months later, they haven't, done anything with it they don't seem interested in renaming it it appears to me that they did this in haste without thinking much about it and i suspect that ed ray the former president of oregon state uh probably did this because he was concerned about his legacy as a university president and it was the safer path for him to take versus going you know what let's leave it as the civil war uh because literally there are a lot of civil wars fought around the planet that don't have to do with the American Civil War or slavery. There's civil wars in a number of countries and nations that have happened. And frankly, the first reference ever to the Civil War in print came, uh, you know, in 1929 when Oregon coach John McEwen called it, quote, the Great Civil War, not capitalized on Civil War, just the Great Civil War. So I'm, uh, I'm inclined to call it the Great Civil War until Oregon and Oregon State decide to name it something else. And I'm going to guess that a lot of you in your living rooms at home are just calling it the Civil War because about 90% of the feedback I'm getting, and it's unscientific. I mean, these are, just, these are my readers. It's a small sample size, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people already this morning. Um, are, are most the, Like 99% of people are coming back going, you know what, we call it the Civil War. We still call it the Civil War. I want to know where you, uh, what you're calling it in your household. 503-417-7575. Dave's in Portland. Dave, go ahead. Yeah, uh, we still call it the Civil War in our family. And like a friend of mine said, well, first of all, I think they were looking for a problem that really didn't exist to solve. Uh, but like a friend of mine said, what happens when the state of Washington decides to have something against apples? What do you call the apple cut? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I don't know if it would go that far. I mean, I kind of understand the association with slavery that the American Civil War has. I think we'd be we'd be fools to not recognize the association. But you know, even at or- University of Oregon, on their campus, they have a Civil War expert. I've asked him for an interpretation of it. I don't have it back yet. He'll give it to me tonight, he says. But I've asked that professor for an interpretation. Did they do that? Did Oregon and Oregon State ask the Civil War experts on their own campus about it? I don't know. Let's go to Mike in Portland. Mike, weigh in. Go ahead. Hey, John. I, I never looked at it in that context. I always looked at it as a clash between brothers. That's yeah. how. That, that's exactly what happened in our Civil War, which I don't think has anything to do with this deals with a clash between brothers and that's what that's what that's what this is to me yeah i don't think you're that wrong and i think a lot of people have told me and written to me and said i mean the comment section on the piece is just uh filled with people debating intelligently i i just i'm really inspired by the comment section uh you know uh, of the john canzano website as dot com website as as it stands like it's not the normal trolls and debating it's like people coming in with, uh, you know, educated, thoughtful responses, which is what it should be in the end. I just think, you know, if Oregon and Oregon State had a better name, 30 months later, here we are. We've got people who don't have connection to the game or the region, frankly, anymore, who are in charge at Oregon and Oregon State. And so I kind of feel like it, it's up to you and I, and mostly you, to figure out what to call this thing and what's appropriate. But I do want to hear from the scholars. I want to hear people who have expertise in civil war history going no uh, you know did the did the people involved in the civil war know they were fighting in the civil war like do in what did they know what they were fighting about like was it did they know what it was going to be called all those years later i have so many questions when it came to civil war history and i peppered them off to the experts i'm getting that feedback but the initial feedback that i got from the professor at the University of New Hampshire, who is one of the experts, foremost experts in the country on the Civil War, was, you know, this was not a war that was fought to perpetuate slavery. And thinking of it that way is thinking about it from the Confederate side only. Um, there is uh, the winning side um, had a, should have a voice in this. And look, and for those who don't associate war at all, like literal Civil War with Oregon and Oregon State, bless you. Because I think a lot of you are out there going, I never thought of it even in that context. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a silly, silly debate that we are still having 30 months later. Oregon and Oregon State have to stop it. In the meantime, I'm going to go with the Civil War. You know, I don't want to make it a big political debate. It's not what it's about. But until you name it something else, you can't drop the turd in our lap and, and then just walk away, Oregon and Oregon State. And that's what you did 30 months ago. Leave it here. Jack Coletto's coming up. Linebacker, running back, superstar at Oregon State. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Oregon and Oregon State will play Saturday Research Stadium, 12.30 kickoff. I'm all fired up about it. I'm picking the Beavers. They're at home where they're very good. But we're going to get kind of the insider report from Jack Coletto, jackhammercoletto.com, Oregon State linebacker joining us. 
Uh, how hard is it for you to watch a football game but not be able to play in a football game because you're injured? It sucks. I mean, that's the simplest way I could put it. Uh, last week against ASU, but to see uh, the other people go out and execute and get a good team win, I was happy for the guys. Yep, but you were pacing, though, weren't you? Weren't you pacing around? Weren't you kind of going, I'm itching to be out there? You know, like internally, just felt like you weren't in the right place, did it? No, but I, I wasn't pacing as bad as Coach Bray was when we talked about that last <laughs> week. Truth. I was pacing a little bit. Truth to that. Hey, can you help us out with this? I was looking at you guys on defense. You you know, let me just go through this. You know this, but I want our listeners to get to grasp how good you guys have been. Um, seven points to Arizona State, three points to Cal, 24 to Washington, nine to Colorado, 10 to Washington State. You guys are stingy. What is it about this defense that you think makes it successful? First off, it's stopping the run, and we've been able to do that for the better most of the end of the, the second half of the season, really all season. And when you are able to do that, it just makes it hard to win ball games if you're in offense and score points because if you can't run the ball, then it just puts you behind the sticks in second and ten, and then you're, you, know, you have to beat people with your, your arm, and then you can start to get exotic when they try to start passing it a lot. And I think that's really the starting point on – what makes our defense so successful. And then plus just eliminating eliminating big plays. If you force a team to have to go all the way down the field consistently, they're bound to make a mistake at some point. When I see you making tackles, I know that you're, the guys up front are doing their job because they're keeping those offensive linemen off of you. Help our listeners maybe who haven't played football understand how that works, why that's important, and you know uh, sometimes the names that don't st- show up in the box scores have fantastic games because they're causing double teams and problems. Well, I mean, it definitely starts with the D-line to eat up blocks, but I mean, more the mentality for us is to for the D-line to defeat the blocks and get in the backfield, so it kind of creates havoc, and the back doesn't really have a clear lane to run through. And by doing that, it forces the running back to have to commit earlier, which frees us up and allows us to make plays. So everything kind of works in tandem there. When when you guys are calling stunts and blitzes and you get a chance in a passing situation to make a run at a QB, you like that or you like being in coverage and as a former quarterback playing a little seven-on-seven? I mean, I don't mind coverage at all, but that's basically saying, would you rather have a sack or an interception or a sack fumble for that <laughs> regard? I mean, I'll take either or. Beggars can't be choosers there. Yeah, I, I, got, I think back when you said interception, I thought about the interception at the end of the USC game last year. That was you picking off that pass. What did that feel like? I mean, it was funny because I ran out there. It was actually the first play I was out there, and I was like, well, they still have a chance if they drive down the field and score and get the onside kick. So it's like the game's not over, and then the first play, I get that. I'm like, okay, then like, now our chances really went up and really secured the win. But I don't know what to think. I was, I was too excited and running around with the chainsaw. <laughs> do you guys uh, Do you feel like the players on the team understand the rivalry with Oregon? Do they get it? Do they have to learn it? You're a Camus kid, so you probably at least grew up kind of knowing it a little bit. How about the guys that don't grow up here? Yeah, they know it. <laughs> Everybody's well aware of what this game means. What does it mean? I mean, this is 
I mean, to be honest, like this is a make or break type of game. It's always been that way every year, even like the years we were down. If you go and you beat Oregon, it just kind of it makes the whole year better. And they're a good team. They're they're well coached, and the fact that we're both ranked teams going to be playing this Saturday it just makes it even much more competitive and much more exciting to be a part of. I was thinking about that today. I went on Seattle radio and they were asking me about, you know, the teams going to the playoffs and all that. And I was like, you know what? Hold on here. I said, you know, you look at Oregon and Oregon State. They're going to combine for 18 wins combined this season after Saturday. It'll be 18 regular season wins between you guys. Um, And look at Washington and Washington State. Four of the top six teams in the Pac-12 are right here. There's like the Pacific Northwest is outside of the L.A. schools is propping up the conference. I think it's it's pretty impressive to see that, and it hasn't it hasn't always been that way. No, it definitely hasn't. Even just the Pac-12 this year in general, I think we've really represented some teams well nationally and made some noise this year, which I definitely think is good for the Pac-12. What's left unfinished for Jack Coletto in college as a football player? Winning a bowl game and winning this game, honestly. Because I, I know we won it in 2020, but there was no fans there, so you don't really get the full experience. Cardboard cutouts. Yeah, I know. I had the same feeling. Like, it's not the same as people pouring onto the field after the game. You have to help them to rush the field. I kind of... <laughs> I like that. Hey, classes, will you get some turkey this week? What's going to happen? Do you go to Canvas? Do you stay in Corvallis? What, what happens with your Thanksgiving? Well, I know we do a Thanksgiving here, so I'll eat I'll eat well here, and then I'm pretty sure my dad and my family, they will all be in Cama, so I'll stop by up there for the evening and just head back. So it's not too far of a drive, and I've, I've done it before. So I'll be uh, definitely eating good on Thursday. It's not a bad drive, and by the way, I talk about this all the time. There's a good burrito spot in Salem right off the uh, the uh, exit. that uh, It's called Abierto's. I hate telling this to people because I don't want a line there, but if you need a burrito on your drive, that's the place to go, Jack. Well, well noted. I didn't even know that. I get too caught up with the, the whole in and out no. over there. Nah, yeah, it's too long. That's too long a line. You, you know, you're going to wait in that. You could turn your, your drive to Camas turns into four hours if you're going to sit in that in and out line. It's a day trip. <laughs> there Sometimes you can sometimes you can kind of sneak in there and the line's not too bad now. When it first opened up, it was it was terrible. Maybe uh, you know Thanksgiving there'll, there'll be no line there. You'd be thankful for that. Jack Coletto is with us, Oregon State linebacker, running back, uh, all-purpose guy, two-way player. The health of your team. How is your health? Will you play this week? Uh, how is are you getting guys back? Coach Smith coming on tomorrow's show. I'm sure he'll give us an update of some kind, but. Uh, relative to last week, you know, was it was it season-ending stuff for you guys, or is it stuff you guys can come back from? Um, from what I know, nothing was really season-ending. As all of this was just kind of day-to-day stuff. So, I mean, Smith is the one who probably knows most about that than, or more about that than I do. But that's just from what I observe and what I see. Help us in general, because sometimes, you know, this is kind of like a 20,000-foot question, but, you know, we see guys get hurt in college games all the time, and the trainers will come out, and then, you know, you'll come to the sideline, maybe you're talking to a trainer, maybe your position coach is around you, but, you know, your coordinator's busy coordinating a game, the head coach is busy coaching a game. How does that 
at what point do they come to you and go, how do you feel? Or is that kind of the telephone game where the trainer goes, Jack, how's your forearm? And then you go, my forearm, you know, here's what's going on. And then that go, you know, by the time it gets to coach or, or is somebody, you know, does your head coach talk to you and go, hey, what is the injury? How is it? Or is he relying on the trainers? He's relying, he's relying on the trainers. So usually the trainers will talk to them about what's going on and then, Usually, what tries to, they try to do is just rush to get a diagnosis and help as much as possible, and whether it's a return in the game or end of the game type of thing. I think you're going to learn things about recovery you probably already have in your time at Oregon State that you'll use for the rest of your life. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's something I especially paid more attention to this year, and it's continued to grow, but. I mean, the the biggest thing is, one, being hydrated, and two, asleep. Those are two things I usually don't like to mess around with, and I'm really strict about that routine and that regimen. So, And then, obviously, I'm not perfect. It's like there's nights I don't get – I mean, I, I get a decent amount of sleep every night, but I usually try to shoot for, like, nine, ten hours of sleep every night just to help the body recover because it also needs it. I know that sounds kind of crazy. Like, how do you find nine to ten hours of sleep a night? I wish I, you know, I've got kids, dog, puppy. We got a new puppy. It was I was up in the middle of the night last night. So, uh, so it's hydration and sleep. I think that's fascinating. As I speak to you, I am dehydrated and sleep deprived. So I think most of us are probably operating that way. But that's something. Are these things that you didn't know like a year or two ago, or you've just sort of implemented more in the last year? I was never really truly aware of how important it was. I mean, obviously, if you ask somebody, they will say, oh, yeah, that's important, but you never really truly understand the feeling of why until you're like, okay, I'm really sore, and then it's like, go try and get two hours of sleep and wake up and try to do what you just did again. It's like, okay, that's terrible, versus when you get your recommended amount of sleep, and then you feel a lot better, and over time, it helps prevent injuries and stuff like that, and also being hydrated helps prevent injuries. It's huge. All right, uh, you guys uh, are ready for this weekend's game. Uh, obviously, this is important, you know, a rivalry game and then a bowl game beyond that. Um, have you thought much about life beyond this season for Jack Coletto? What, what, you will, what you will do, what you are thinking about as a redshirt senior at Oregon State, the NFL, uh, you know, life that is going to come pretty quickly, I think, after that bowl game. Oh, gosh, it's going to go by so fast. But, yeah, my, my plan is to go to the NFL and just make it as long as I can there and try to implement what I've done and try to make the process of training and what I'm doing already better and see how it goes from there. I think there's examples of guys like you. I had some, I had one of the scouts say, you know, there's guys like Jack Coletto that, that – if they get with the right team, can have a really nice career. It's a guy like uh, Kyle Juszczyk, who is playing fullback for the 49ers. I mean, he was he was at Harvard, and he wasn't playing fullback his whole life. And, you know, he's just a football player. And you're, I think physically you're bigger than that guy. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, we watch a lot of 49ers film, especially like the offensive side of the ball, and, but there's there's clips where I see of him and see how he operates and I mean he's a very efficient with movement and he's he's 
physical at the point of attack, and he does a really good job as a fullback. And obviously, it shows, and people recognize that because they know who he is, and he's a big figure. But it's definitely someone I, I, I watch and try to learn from. Yeah, he's uh, he's six one two thirty five. I got you at about six, almost six three, maybe about two thirty. Two forty. Okay, there you go. See, I could work at a carnival. <laughs> two fifty after Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right, you drive safely to your parents' place. You have a great Thanksgiving, Jack Coletto. I'll see you at the stadium. Great, thanks. You too. All right, there he is. Happy Thanksgiving to Jack Coletto. You heard what this game means to him means to his teammates. I love that we're getting to know him a little bit, talking about going on to the NFL. I think there's a place for him if he gets with the right team. And, and for him, you know, Juszczyk uh, was a like a fourth-round pick of the Niners. My the, the round, or even if he's drafted, is not as important, I don't think, to a guy like Jack Coletto as the situation is. He needs to go somewhere where he fits. But there's guys like him all over the league that have decent careers or better because they do a lot of the work that nobody sees. And Jack Coletto, as we have seen, started off as a college quarterback, linebacker, running back. There's a place for him, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball, we will find out. I want you to leave it here. Coming up, our big splash. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. It's a Tuesday, but I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the whole week, because it's Thanksgiving week, everybody's out of rhythm, college kids came home today, uh, my nephew and daughter both snuck home from, said their classes, their last class was canceled, and they showed up early, a little bit of a surprise, pleasant surprise, so, uh, you know, the daughters are inside the house playing Jenga. Like, that's not normal. We're not in rhythm over here. It always it feels like a Friday all week. Uh, we've got great shows for you today and tomorrow. Uh, we are uh, out on Thursday and Friday, so you better get all your Civil War football talk in between now and Thanksgiving. Uh, I am thankful for you as a listener that you're out there. We'll talk more about that in the 4 o'clock hour. I want you to think about what you're thankful for from a sports standpoint and your personal life standpoint. Share some of it with us. Help, help normalize the audience to uh, other audience members. Who are you? What do you care about? What's important to you? I'm curious about that stuff. I know other listeners are as well. In the meantime, though, let's get to the Big Splash. We do it every single day. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the Big Splash. Well, Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin met with his players today. And he assured them that he has not accepted a job at any other school, particularly not Auburn. Uh, rumors and a report surfaced on Monday from WCBI-TV in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, report came out that Kiffin planned to step down on Friday and head to Auburn. Uh, WCBI-TV also reported that Auburn had yet to officially offer the job to anyone. Huh? Well, 
Lane Kiffin met with his players. He said, focus on Mississippi State. Do not focus on the reports. He said they were false. Um, sources have told other news outlets that Kiffin and Liberty's Hugh Freeze are at the forefront of Auburn's coaching search. By the way, Auburn is playing Alabama Saturday in their Iron Bowl rivalry game in Tuscaloosa. And Cadillac Williams, who has led Auburn to two straight wins as the interim coach, will be coaching the team. Kiffin's in his third season at Old Miss. Um, he won 10 games last year. They're 8-3 and three this year, but they've lost three of the last four games, including getting uh, beat 42-27 against Arkansas last weekend. They were down 42-6 at one point in that game. But uh, Kiffin says, uh, you, know, um, you know, I don't know if they watched last week's game. Maybe if they watched the first half, I wouldn't be the number one choice for them anymore because somebody said, hey, you're the number one choice. Uh, Lane Kiffin, does he go to Ole Miss? I mean, excuse me, does he go to Auburn or not, guys? Let's go thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's just take a poll of the room. Lane Kiffin to Auburn, yes or no? Yes. I'm going to say no. He had a pretty strong reaction on social about this. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no as well. I think, like, I've I've reported on coaching searches before, and it's it. this kind of smacks to me of the first name, that comes out some TV station trying to be first. He makes sense. He jumps around a lot. But if I'm Auburn, I think I think I can do better than Lane Kiffin. If I'm Auburn, I, I think he'd be fine there. But I I actually hope he stays at Ole Miss. I'm rather enjoying the Ole Miss Mississippi State uh, kind of back and forth with he and Mike Leach. I don't think it works the same as if he's at Auburn. He becomes a bully at Auburn. And Lane Kiffin, by the way. For as young as he is, think about all the jobs that Lane Kiffin has already had in his uh, young coaching career. He's 47, okay? He's 47 years old. When you look at the places he's worked, he has been a head coach at USC, the Oakland Raiders, Tennessee, Florida Atlantic, and now Ole Miss. Uh, all of this in the last, in the last what, uh, 15 years. He has just bounced around. Hasn't worked for him in a lot of different places. Why would it be any different at Auburn? They, they need a no-brainer. Coming up, Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports, talks about the Oregon Ducks. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I love having our next guest on. He's a normal human being. And you know what? Not everybody in the press box is a normal human being. I'm here to tell you that. I may end up being the biggest weirdo of them all. But I, I find myself at halftime or before the game talking with Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports. Uh, for people who follow Matt, who read Matt, you know he is a regular guy. Got a family. Plays some golf. You know, he, he gets it. He gets it. You can get him at uh, on Twitter, at Matt Prem. You can read him as the Duck Beat reporter at 24-7 Sports. Does a fantastic job covering the team. He's there all the time. I got so many questions for him on this week of football. Oregon, Oregon State, Saturday, 1230, Racer Stadium. Matt Prem joining us. Hey, man, uh, Bo Nix. First of all, let's go back to sat last Saturday. Impressed with what Oregon did with him or... Mostly impressed, but uh, worried this week. Um, I think 
if they get to the Pac-12 championship game, and if and it may even require them to win and get to the Rose Bowl, but if that scenario plays out, what happened Saturday at Utah will be a game that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, everyone will claim that they were at to see Bo Nix on, on one ankle will himself and the team to a victory over a top-10 Utah team to save the season. I thought Kenny Dillingham's game plan for him was really smart, quick passes, get rid of the ball. I tweeted, you know, three-step drops, but then I realized it's not even a three-step drop. He's in the shotgun. He was catching the ball a lot of times, taking one step and throwing. Yeah, he couldn't move. Um, I I don't know if, if most people can appreciate – Anyone who has played a sport and has had the injury that he has, which is a high, which is an ankle sprain, pretty bad ankle sprain, can appreciate what he did. But if you've not gone through truly a really bad ankle sprain, that is hard. You you can't cut the throw he he'd made to Dante Thornton on the move. That was like fifty eight yards. That's one of his best throws all year. The throw to, to Terrence Ferguson, uh, I think in, in the third quarter, down the sideline when he scrambled out a little bit. Again, one of his best throws all year because he can't plant. And that's what he said today at practice was everything was so limited because he, he couldn't really drive the football down the football field. He couldn't build the base that you need to throw the ball that far. And, yeah, it, it was all shotgun. Uh, they, they never once went under center. And I, I, I'm real curious to see what kind of growth from a health standpoint he can make in a week. Um, I, I almost kind of expect a similar game plan from, from Morgan against Oregon State just because not enough time has passed for, for that to, to make a substantial, you know, improvement from a health standpoint. Yeah, maybe he's he can move a little, a little bit better, but I, I still wonder how much of what they did Saturday at Utah against Utah is going to show up again uh, at Oregon State. Matt, uh, you got a chance to hear from Bo Nix. What is he saying about you know how much better he can get in six or seven days? Yeah, he, he said today that he, he felt a lot better. Um, than he did at this point last week. Um, he has he, he referenced an injury he suffered in high school, and he also referenced an injury last year at, at Auburn that ended his season and his career for the Tigers um, of understanding this is what you need to do to get back. This is what it's going to feel like pushing through it. Um, he was in positive spirits today. Um, you know, I happened to look at his ankles, and you know, if if you didn't know that he was hurt, you know, he he didn't have any heavy heavy tape jobs on. He didn't. He wasn't walking in a boot. You know, he seemed to be you know better. Now we'll see what happens when Oregon State's terrific defense is bearing down on him. Oregon State does a nice job making offenses uncomfortable, and I mean, it's hard to argue with the success they had, but I think this is going to be a really close, great game just because offensively, 
I don't know how, you know, I don't think Oregon State is going to score at will against Oregon either. The uh, the defensive adjustments that you saw from the Ducks against Utah last week, is Dan Lanning taking a bigger role? Good question. Uh, it certainly looked like it when you watched the game on rewatch for TV purposes or if you were watching it um, on TV, they, they showed him more being involved. He was asked that question. He didn't answer it that it was a team effort. Um, I, I also think Utah and Oregon State will be in a similar boat here, that they're a better matchup for Oregon's strengths on defense. You know, Oregon's good against the run. You know, if if you're relying on intermediate and short passing game situations, that's good, too, for, for Oregon's defense. Utah didn't have the ability to break the, you know, go over the top and do what UW did. Um, or if Oregon wins, do what USC will try and do against Oregon. Um, and I don't see that at Oregon State either. Um, and, you know, Musgrave potentially being out, I think he's that's up in the air probably not playing. It's going to hurt Oregon State. Um, I, I don't think I, – I would say Rising is by far a better quarterback than what Oregon State has. So I like the matchup for Oregon, you know, defensively. It's just at the same time, hey, you have to give credit, though, to their offensive line at Oregon State and their run game. And They've got really good running backs, and they've got a freshman that, that's tremendous. And you know, he's putting up a lot of yards. He's putting up touchdowns. And I, I think he's probably in maybe – maybe he's taken over from Jaden Ott of becoming the league's freshman of the year offensively. Um, he's pretty impressive. I, 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 I like their – their running attack, I just don't – I don't think it, it – I think it plays into Oregon's strength here. And Utah threw like 30-something, 40 times for only 187 yards or something like that. That's not good. And if you're Oregon State, you've got to figure out a way to go over the top and, and, and push the ball downfield because if you're going to play the dink and dunk type stuff, you're ultimately going to make a mistake – much like Cam Rising did multiple times. That's how Oregon's defense wins, is making you drive the length of the field with a 13- or a 12-play drive, and they just feel like ultimately you're going to make a mistake and Oregon's play, playmakers will, will tip a ball at the line of scrimmage or you'll drop a pass and it'll get intercepted or a quarterback will throw an errant throw on a third down that sets up a you know a fourth and long and you got a punt. That, that's how they win, and you know if you can't score quick, you know, you play into Oregon's strength, and that's the biggest question I have for, for this game defensively for Oregon. Matt Prame, 24-7 sports with us, uh, covers the Oregon Ducks. What does this game mean to Oregon? That's a good question. Because um, they've won eight of the last ten, and I think all but like three of those have been a, more than a one-score game. And and maybe they've, you know, maybe Oregon State's kept it closer than the odds makers projected it to be. But it's still, you know, it's still been a, a game that Oregon has won, you know, where there's it's not taken to the final drive of the game. Um, this season, it should mean a lot for Oregon because they have a chance to kind of right the ship, beat Oregon State. Last time they played in Reeser Stadium was in that fog bowl of, 2020 when you know Oregon played terrible and they gave up a, a late score and you know, that, that was 
kind of the turnaround for Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. That was also a game where fans weren't allowed in the stands, and they drove to the stadium afterwards and honked their their, their horns and made car parades around Reeser Stadium celebrating the win. And, you know, that was a, a bad moment in Oregon football. So I think for the players that were on this team, it's getting revenge from that, getting back to the Pac-12 championship game for a fourth time. And if you can end your season with the Rose Bowl trip, I think you've exceeded kind of your expectations for this season, even though we thought maybe the playoffs were, were likely three weeks ago. You know, Oregon State, I think, will, you know, they've been tough at home. The home field has meant a lot in this conference. I, I, I am, uh, you know, going back and forth on this game, Matt. You and I last week, I think, were among the few in the press box who picked Oregon to win. And we were talking to each other before the game, like, you know, are we out in left field here? And, in fact, we had the same score for our prediction. Yeah. You know, it was a, we had a one-point win. We had a close game, and it ended up being a close game. This one's going to be close again, in my view. I, I'm leaning Oregon State right now, like 28-27. I think it's going to be that kind of game. What kind of game do you see when you think about scoring? I think I, I wonder if, if Oregon can score 24 points, I think they're going to win. Be, just because I, I don't. I don't think Oregon State's quarterback play is good enough where they're going to go over the top. And I don't think they've got the playmakers to go over the top unless there's just complete breakdowns in the secondary, which we've seen. Look, that, that, that happens. We have seen that happen this season. But they don't have Washington's receivers. They don't have Arizona's receivers. Um and so it's going to rely on the run game, which to me feels it just goes right into what Oregon's good at. You know, Sewell is really good against the run. He's not particularly good against the pass. Jeffrey Bossa is good against the run. He hasn't been good this season against the pass. Bennett is more of a run defender, you know, first than he is pass defense uh, at safety. DJ Johnson and Mace Funa off the edges are, are better against the run than they are in coverage. So much of Oregon's defense is built around stopping the run that that just kind of plays into Oregon's strength, and that feels like what Oregon State's strength is too. So yeah. I think if Oregon can score 24 points, they're going to have a really good chance at winning. If they get over 30, I have a hard time seeing Oregon State follow, you know, keep up with that. Um, this game needs to be played in the low 20s, I think, for Oregon State to, to get this win. And, you know, look, their defense the last five games is averaging – uh, 12 points allowed, and you can point at it and say, well, look who they're playing. It, it, it's Washington State, it, it's Cal, it's Stanford, uh, it's Arizona State, and then you throw in Washington as well. You know, four teams that are kind of bad to very average to and then one good team. And you can say, well, they're, you know, they're just playing up, you know, they're, they're beating up the, the little guys in the conference. And that's true, but at this point in the season, you are who you are. And when you, when you only average 12 points a game allowed over a five-game period, I don't care who you play. That's good. They're doing something right. They, they stimulate pressures really well. They play four-quarter defense. Um, they are talented. They don't make you uh, – they make you go the length of the field because they don't give up big plays. They are first in the conference and – Oh, and least amount of plays of 10 or more yards 
this season. Um, so they make you go dink and dunk all the way through. And, you know, I, 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 it, it's shaping up, in my opinion, to be a defensive game. In modern-day college football, though, that could be mid-20s. And if it, if it gets above 24, I just have a hard time seeing Oregon State uh, score enough. Finally, before I cut you loose, your coach of the year in the Pac-12, um, you know, the coaches now will be allowed to vote after the championship game, which could change uh, things here. You're going to see a week plus a championship game. But who are the strong candidates right now in your mind when you think coach of the year in the Pac-12? Boy, this has changed quite a bit. Um, I think three weeks ago it was pretty close to being Chip Kelly. Um, I think Jonathan Smith should be in the discussion. I just don't think he's going to get it. Ultimately, if Oregon or USD, well, I guess USD is in the conference championship game already, but if, if Oregon gets there too, I think it's just going to be the winner between those two schools, so Lincoln Riley at USD or Dan Lanning at Oregon. Um, I, I, Kellen DeBoer should should be in the conversation, but at the same time, I kind of feel like like the extension that happened today, that feels very much like, uh, hey, let's reward the guy. He just beat Oregon. Let's fend off Nebraska. But if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt and Alex Forsyth doesn't get hurt in that Washington game, I don't feel like Oregon loses. I think they score – that touchdown late in the game instead of taking the field goal. Um, and, and now all of a sudden the, the Washington season looks a little bit different. Um, so I, I would think Lincoln Riley is probably the favorite right now. Um, but if, if Oregon wins the Rose Bowl, I think what we saw from – or wins the conference championship game, excuse me. What we saw week one against Georgia, 49-3, to to then going out and having one of the best offenses in the country, averaging over 40 points per game, having one of the best rushing attacks in the country, the reclamation project that Lanning has done with, with Bo Nix, and wielding his team to a Rose Bowl appearance, I don't know how you say no to him being the coach of the year. Um, but I, I would say right now the candidates in my eyes are Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith, and, and then DeBoer at Washington. Yeah, I don't. I can't put Kyle Whittingham in this year. I think he's done a great job. I think he's a great coach, but they just didn't get the results they needed when they needed them. And they if were they supposed do, to be a playoff team. Yeah, yeah. They're, everyone picked them to be a playoff team, and they've got three losses on the season. Now, look, you can count injuries, but injuries happen to everybody. Oregon State's littered with them. And Oregon has been, you know, they've got two of the most important players on their team battling injuries right now. Everyone has injuries. And you find ways to maneuver those and, and, and win. And unfortunately, they, they've lost three times. And so, you know, I, I asked our, our counterpart for Utah going into that game just kind of what was the expectations and vibe of this, of this season for, for you fans because this is the year outside Salt Lake City. Everyone said, hey, playoffs, playoffs. They're going to be the dark horse to make the playoffs. They're going to for sure win the league. And he kind of said, yeah, like there's a little bit of – disappointment because they aren't in those scenarios. Uh, they definitely are now not in them because of losing to, to Oregon. Uh, but, yeah, he admitted that this is, does feel like a down year for them because of preseason expectations. Matt, I appreciate you. I will see you in the press box or the press trailer, as they say at Oregon State. And, uh, what are you going to walk into here, John? 
Okay. What am I walking into? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So access will be, you know, parking will be fine. It'll be great. There is construction around the stadium, but there's ample parking because you're only dealing with 26,000 yahoos at this stadium because of the capacity. Okay. So it's very easy to get in. Uh, you kind of have to walk around the stadium to enter. When you get in, um, the press are the only people that are on the west side of the stadium. So you really have no problem once you get to your, you know, press uh, trailer uh, have getting around. Um, something that I would advise you to do is I would advise you to uh, wear a jacket. I would advise you to uh, uh, bring, uh, you know, layers because it does get chilly because it's not a normal uh, setting. You essentially have... Store, large storage containers. You know the storage containers on Instagram? They turn them into houses and stuff? Well, oh, yeah. this is kind of like a primitive little press box made from a storage okay. container. It's got a heater in it. It's not great. I did encounter last week, or a couple weeks ago, they had left the windows open the night before, and it rained in there. And so oh, the, uh, the seat I was sitting on was damp, and so it was cold and damp. So I ended up taking my jacket off and putting it on the seat. So... I would just say, I would just say, prepare for like, you know, it's not terrible. It's all right. They're doing the best they can with construction, but it's more or less a uh, portable building or a storage container with a window cut out of it and a heater inside, and they put you in in there. I, I, you know, I kept expecting that like a forklift would pick it up and they would just move it while I was inside <laughs> of it, but um, you know, it's all right. And for twelve thirty, come on, it's gonna be beautiful. Twelve thirty, nice. Excited. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I mean, how many times can you say you you watch the football game in a construction zone? I mean, that I know. that that's phenomenal. I, I am I'm excited to see it. It's a, it's a building that needed a facelift. I'm happy it's getting it. And uh, I, these games are always interesting. Sometimes they're not, it doesn't mean they're good. They're always interesting. And I, yep. I can't wait to see what makes this one interesting. From a media standpoint, too, you know how at Autzen, when you go down to go from the press box to the field, it'll take you sometimes, you know, they're stopping at the club level, they're stopping here, you have oh, to yeah. get out, you're walking through the crowd. When you leave that container to go to the field, it takes you about 90 seconds to get to the field. Terrific. So you have easy oh, access. The world, yeah. the world revolves around us and our, and our, our, our tight deadlines that we have for online posting. So, you know, yep. I'm happy to hear that. I also want to ask you, like, you know, how much are they charging us for the press credential? Nothing. So, you know, we have no right. <laughs> we have no right to bellyache. If, I, I, one game, the USC game, the weather was so great. I sat out there with Nick Aliotti, and I just sat on the concrete and watched the game like I was a fan. It was fantastic. Hey, as long as they've got the windows open, I'm good. I, 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 I don't like watching a football game in, in a sterile environment without the crowd noise. So yep. I hope Beaver fans bring it, make it yep. loud, make it awesome, and uh, let's have a good environment. All right. Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports. I appreciate you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, John. Thanks a lot. Leave it right here. Anna's popping in next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. College football playoff rankings are out. Anna's in the studio, joining us uh, in person in the studio. She's put the headset on, 
Rankings are out. Steven, let's pop through the rankings real quick, and then uh, we'll deal with the Santa situation. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about where the Pac-12 teams are ranked. What are we seeing at the top? I, you want me to do it or you to do it? Uh, I can do it if you want me to. Okay. You rip through it, and I'm, I will offer smart-ass comments. All right, for the Pac-12 teams, uh, in at number six, USC. They're right, oh. right behind LSU at number five. Okay, are you surprised that they didn't uh, they didn't end up at five here? That they're still sitting at six? They still have to get past LSU. I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised because if LSU were to beat Georgia, then they can easily rank them, and if they lose, they can say, "Oh, well, you know what? USC can pass them anyway." So I think it's a win-win for the uh, committee. What else we got? Uh, number nine, the Oregon Ducks after their big win over Utah. Mm. Number three. Uh, no, that, I, I'm not surprised there. Keep an eye on that ranking for Rose Bowl purposes. Just keep that in the back of your mind, people, because I'm going to say something about the Rose Bowl at the end. Go ahead. Number 13, Washington. That's interesting. Kalen DeBoer gets the contract extension. They're number 13. Number 14, the team that lost to the Oregon Ducks, the Utah Utes. Okay, not surprised. Number Although, although I think Utah is pretty weak at that position right now just because they're banged up. And Cam Rising, not that good. The team yeah. who lost the USC, UCLA in at number 18. Dropping. Dropping like a rock. That seems low. Yep. I think you, I think UCLA is better than Utah right now if they played. I do too. Uh, and then at number 21, moving on up, the Oregon State Beavers. There you go. Jonathan Smith on tomorrow's show. So we have number 9 against number 21 in the uh, Civil War football game coming up on Saturday. Uh, or the Civil was depending on what you uh, what you want to call it. I love that. Callers on this show are so smart. Uh, what anything at the top surprised you guys when when the rankings came out? No, I think I think mostly it was just the LSU over USC, but I think it was pretty easy to see that coming for the committee just because they can rank US or rank LSU higher if they get the win over Georgia. So uh, not really, not uh, not huge surprise there, but. Uh, Teams have got to win. I mean, USC's got to go. Uh, USC's going to get an opportunity to be, to show that it belongs in the top four, on the you know playing Notre Dame. I mean, that's that's a big one. Yeah, I still think USC. If, you, if USC wins out, I think they jump LSU and then probably at number four. So I, I think USC you know holds their uh, holds their own cards. I actually think Oregon State is low, you know, uh, on this list. Like I think they're lower than they should be. I mean, who would you take right now, UCLA or Oregon State? I take Oregon State right now. Same, yeah, same here. Florida State sixteen, Notre Dame fifteen, Utah fourteen. I mean, Oregon State, you can argue better I, than all those teams. I think I, I I thought about this after I saw Oregon play Utah. I said on the way home, I was driving home, and I thought I said Oregon State played Utah at the wrong part of the season. Mm-hmm. Had they got them at the, had they flip flopped with the Ducks, uh, I think it it might have been an entirely different story on who wins those games. And uh, it, so much of the schedule, uh, I think, you know, and the results happen. You know, you want to be playing teams at the right time when you're playing your best football and they're not. Um, but by the way, the Pac-12 schedule, I'm told, will be out uh, sometime in December. They will put out the 2023 schedule. The holdup is that the athletic directors have to agree on it. So they don't have a date set, but... I think that they are planning to have it out sometime between the Pac-12 championship game and the first of the year. So sometime in December there we will get the schedule for 2023, and I'll be really curious to see how that goes. Anna, what's on your mind? You're uh, furrowing your brow. You're ready to ask. You look a puppy ready to ask a question. <laughs> um, on that point, though, that you made, 
do most college teams play their best football at the beginning, middle, or end of their season, or does it just depend on the team? I think first let's talk health. You you generally will see teams healthier in the first half of the season than the second. It's yeah. just the bumps and the bruises and the accumulation of uh, you know that hamstring or that injury that has been nagging and bothering people. Yeah. Uh, it just gets to a point. I mean, you you can't have season-ending injuries in week two, but I think generally players will tell you that they probably feel their best after the bye week, maybe in like week four. They feel like they're in shape. They feel like they're ready to play and whatnot. But then the second part of your question is about kind of like I've asked Kyle Whittingham that question. Like there's an art and a science to getting your team playing the right way at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that is a thing that I think is prevalent in college basketball as well. That team coaches, the coaches know right now, you don't want to be playing your best basketball now. You want to be playing well enough to win, get wins, but you're, they're still trying to figure out rotations and stuff like that in college basketball. But you really kind of settle into a groove, and it's interesting. I think USC is playing its best football right now, hmm. but I don't think anybody else is. That's a problem. Utah's nowhere near as good as they were in like week four. They're just they they're too hurt. They're banged. They're banged up. Mm -hmm. And Oregon, I actually think Oregon was playing its best football in the middle of the season. Then they just because of injuries and Bo Nix is such an important part of that. I felt like they didn't play well against Washington. They didn't play well, uh, you know, even in the Utah game, other than defensively, they were really good. Like, they're kind of a team that's, they're a little mercurial right now. And some of that is due to injuries, and they're trying to MacGyver it. I think Oregon State is playing better now, and a lot of it is Ben Gulbrunson, the quarterback. I think he's making these tiny little steps. He hasn't had giant leaps of progression. It, you know, I keep coming back to the word incremental. His 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 improvements have been just a little better here, a little better there, and but when you look at him over like three or four weeks, you go, oh gosh, he's way better than he was like three or four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And it's why it's interesting for me to hear the perspective of somebody like Matt Prem who covers the Ducks. He's not watching the Beavers as closely. Yeah, I think he's seeing. He started talking about you know I don't know if Oregon State has the quarterback play. I think he's thinking about Goldbrunson two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have said two or three weeks ago. I've shifted a little bit. He's making enough plays to hurt you now. And I think he's comfortable back there. And so I I think this I think this game on Saturday is gonna be great. Great game. Just great. <laughs> so it's one of those games where even though they're both ranked and Oregon State's moving up to 21. 18. Or 18. Oh, no, are they 21 no, or 18? 21. 21. 21. Sorry. So it's one of those things 18 where next week. You, you, you're not ready to make your pick yet. No, I did. I, I, I have a lean. I okay. call it a lean. <laughs> this is what I do before I make my pick. Okay. This is kind of like at 10 o'clock in the morning if you ask me what I'm having for lunch. <laughs> I would be like, I'm leaning towards Philly cheese sandwich. a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Right, right. But, you know, I may not end up with one. You know, I might have a salad. Yeah. But uh, I'm leaning right now. I, I'm picking Oregon State. If, you, if I had to pick right now, I would say Oregon State. Highly entertaining, very close game. I have it 28-27. That's how I picked it right now. So I think Oregon State can score. I think Oregon's going to score 21 to 27 points. I feel fairly confident that that's their window. So uh, I asked myself, can Oregon State get to 28? 
and I think they can against the Oregon defense. I think I think Oregon State will run the ball enough. I think their defense will give Oregon enough problems. And unless Bo Nix, this is the wild card. If Bo Nix shows up to the stadium and he's suddenly a threat to run with the ball again, it's a different equation because he's a difference maker for me in this game, especially against this Oregon State defense. And how impactful is it, you know, going into this game that there's still ambiguity around him? Like, I feel like that's a strategic advantage for Oregon to have. But it would be if, if you had to worry about Ty Thompson, the backup. And I think Oregon's coaching staff did a real disservice for Ty Thompson last week. And I don't know if you guys caught this. They put him in for the one play. They ran the reverse trick play thing, and the ball got fumbled. Mm -hmm. He already had shaky confidence. They end up turning the ball over there and giving just handed Utah seven points uh, on a scoop and score. And I slapped my forehead when it happened. I was like, you don't need to do that, especially in this game. Dan Lanning, after the game, said, not his finest moment as a coach. Live and learn. Learn from that mistake. Like, you know, he knew. Mm-hmm. These were the mistakes. In the last two weeks, guys, have we not seen the mistakes we thought we would see from Oregon early on with this coaching yeah, staff? Yeah, we definitely have. I expected him in week one, two, three, but w- there have definitely been a handful. Could it be that they've gotten a little overconfident in themselves, right? Like, not saying that they weren't expected to be really good this year, but to roll off all those wins that they had, maybe they're just feeling themselves a little bit. I don't know. I I just think the Colorado game was interesting because remember in the Colorado game, did you guys watch the game? Because they ran a little play where they threw the ball to the linemen, and then they had a running back throw a pass. And I thought, oh, they're having fun as a coaching staff, just kind of going, hey, it's not enough to win Let's have some fun and run some trick plays. And it was like almost they were bored. And they, you know, said they put some stuff in to really take some advantage flare. of it. Some flair. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that the very next week, Washington, they didn't coach their best game. And then I even think the Utah game, this last game, I thought they were really good as a staff on the defensive side. And I have a wild theory that Dan Lanning took over the defense from Tosh Lapoy as coordinator and just took it back. And the body language on the sideline was weird with those two guys. Keep an eye on that in this game coming up. Like, you know, see if you see Dan Lanning actually doing more of the coaching, not just kind of roaming the sideline like a CEO. Um, I saw that last week against Utah, and I think a lot of people noticed it. But then I I, uh, I just think that they're, they've done some squirrely things. And, you know, I, I actually think Oregon, Oregon State have good head coaches, they're set up. I think they're going to matter for a while in the Pac-12. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for Beaver fans and Duck fans in the next five years. I think it is set up for this game, this rivalry game, the Civil War. I think it. I think it is set up to matter in a bunch of ways. All right, I want you to line up now. I want you to tell me what you're thankful for in sports and what you're thankful for in your own life. This is a good opportunity for you to text your mom, your dad, your significant other and say, hey, you should be listening to this show. And call in, 503-417-7575. Tell us what you're thankful for. I'm going to give you my sports thankfulness thing. And Anna's going to do that as well. And then, Peter, you gotta you got to dig deep and find some stuff that you're thankful for. And Stephen, you as well. I, I was not happy with the answers on yesterday's show. As oh, you did this yesterday? No, but I, I kind of casually asked yeah. Judah and Stephen, yeah. and I felt like <laughs> they hadn't given it a lot of thought. Yeah. Me, yeah. I wake up. I start thinking, what am I thankful for today? What is this, you know? 
What is this thing? 503-417-7575. You have the floor. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Thanksgiving on Thursday. Hope you have some turkey or whatever you eat. I'm thankful for Anna and the girls. Uh, It's very rare that I have the girls, meaning all three daughters in the house at the same time. I said this yesterday, but uh, warms my heart. Tried to take a picture of the three girls as they were playing Jenga. The six-year-old will not cooperate with a picture. (laughs) She mugs. She makes kissy lips. She puts bunny ears up. She will not take a picture. It... It's so frustrating. Why won't she take oh, a picture? Oh, just roll with it. Yeah, all my I tell her this this picture you're gonna want this someday. The more attention <laughs> you give her for that, the more she's gonna do it. Thankful for you guys, okay? For you. All right, uh, Stephen, what are you thankful for? Uh, of course, thankful for my uh, wife and kids, but I want to be really thankful to my parents, especially, but my wife's as well. Um, they watch our kids a lot. And they let myself and my wife, you know, work and they work extra things. You know, my wife, she's a teacher, like I've said. She'll work volleyball events. She'll go to football games. She likes to support those kids because it's very important for those high school kids to get support from their teachers outside of school. And so she likes to do that. And then, of course, you know, I do this. Uh, You know, I work late. If Peter has his show, I like to produce his show. I think it's a lot of fun. I do the podcast. And they watch the kids a lot. So uh, shout out to both of the sets of parents. They do uh, a lot for us. I love that. And same with money, too. They uh, they don't charge anything. So that's that's the real thing. Yeah, I love that. In-laws and your parents and her parents. It's great. Peter Sampson, what are you thankful for? Yeah, a couple things. First, of course, uh, my eight-year-old. He uh, he gets me in a way that pretty much no one else really does. He understands me. We definitely have a a special bond. And uh, I'm thankful for everyone I work with. Uh, 2022 has been uh, probably my best year in this biz. Things are going really well. And, of course, uh, no one's an island. Uh, That includes you, John. It wouldn't have happened without you. I know that for a fact. And uh, I just appreciate that things are uh, clicking pretty well here. Well, I appreciate you guys. I I always say, like, and generally it happens as I'm logging off the show I'll I'll whisper in uh, Stephen's ear. Hey, I appreciate you guys, and I don't think it gets said enough on air. And I left yeah I left yesterday's show going. Hey, how do I get them more involved in a way that you know? Because I always feel like we don't have enough airtime on the show. And uh, how do I get people more involved? So I'm glad when you guys speak up. Anna, what are you thankful for? Can you find anything that you're thankful for? <laughs> I got to dig deep like you, have, you told me. I was just kidding. I was giving him a hard time. Um, I'm grateful for everybody that works on the show because I know how much work goes into it behind the scenes, the thankless jobs that – you know, um, people don't know about the hours that you stay after and do the podcasting and and all the really important stuff like that um, is incredibly important. Um, I'm thankful that we both have our parents both still alive. Like, I don't take that for granted. You know, you've got your mom and dad are still around. They're going to be coming up here shortly. I've got my mom and dad like I they're just getting to the age where I feel like every time we get to see them is an extra blessing. Because you just don't know. You don't know. Think about that on your Thanksgiving if you're a listener. Like, you know, I heard somebody say, you know, how many times do you have left to see your parents? How many times a year do you see them? All right, multiply that by how many years you expect to see them. What do you have, 10 visits, 12 visits? I don't know. Yeah. Like, we don't know that. So make them count is what I'm saying. Let's go to the phone lines. Sam is in Eugene. It can be sports-related. It can be personal. Sam, what are you thankful for? 
Hey, John. In sports, I am thankful. The Guggenheim Baseball Management Group bought my Los Angeles Dodgers, and uh, the McCourt family was ruining the team. And I tell you what, since that day, the Dodgers have been the best-run franchise in all of baseball, and I am a very spoiled baseball fan. I, I really appreciate that. It's been a good life since then. Are they looking for an NBA team? I don't know that. I hope they're not. <laughs> I would love to get all their attention on my dog. Yeah, love to see them by the Blazers. Hey, go ahead. Uh, anything else you want to be thankful for? I'm really thankful for my family. I, you know, what the odds that you're you're born into this country, into this city, into this fine state, into the you know family that I have. I just I, I feel like I get the lottery. I'm really grateful for my family. Thank you, Sam and Eugene. Thankful for all kinds of things. I love that people are bringing that up. Adrian's in Springfield. Adrian. We don't often get calls from Springfield. Welcome. What are you thankful for? Hey, John. Uh, well, thanks for taking my call. Um, kind of a parlay on the sports thing. Uh, got to start with the show. Thank you for bringing uh, the show to us, man, because I really enjoy the show every day after work. On my drive home, it's been the best thing for me lately. And uh, the Beavers, they're awesome season, man. Uh, John Smith really turning it around. And then the last part of that parlay has got to be that the fact that the Civil War is in Corvallis, I really hope that the crowd brings it and the Beavers bring one home. Uh, hey, it's going to be, awesome. gonna be a great game. Are you, are you going to the game? I wish I was. I, I'm not. But we're going to have a good uh, get-together here at the house. Uh, yep. We're uh, ordering in, going to have some big old sub sandwiches, making jalapeno poppers, the whole works for the game. It's going to be a great a, a great. Uh, uh, scenario here at the household. So I love it. Cool. I love it. All right. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the game. And frankly, I've had some games where I've been in the stadium in the press box or whatnot where I've been like, I need to be at home where it's warm <laughs> and I can watch this game on TV. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, the advancement of t television when it comes to watching games has been phenomenal. I just like that, like, I'm jealous of people like Adrian who get to have get togethers and watch games. I don't get to do that very often. We did that for the Super Bowl a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And it was fun for me. And I was like, this is what people do. People watch the game. They get, you know, they get wings. <laughs> you know, they have sand sub sandwiches. This is what they do. This is phenomenal. Uh, all right. Coming up, uh, we'll talk more about the upcoming weekend and the games on the horizon. Plus, a little bit of a news development. We'll have the 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour and john wilner of the bay area news group is joining us in the five o'clock hour to talk about the pac-12 specifically back to the bald-faced truth with john canzano on 750 the game so i uh once a week i go on kjr in seattle on the show that is hosted by Jason Puckett, Puck, he's a Washington State guy, and Jim Moore, former columnist at the Seattle PI, who's doing the show with him. And I go on with them, and they, we talk a little sports. We talk about the tiebreakers, whatnot. But today, uh, Puck brought up something that I got to talk about. He apparently is one of these people who gets on Instagram, and he goes down the rabbit hole. You know what I mean by the rabbit hole. You start looking at someone's profile, looking at all their pictures. You start worming around in their life. Well, uh, last week I was kind of joking around because Elon Musk was posturing about Twitter and there was all the angst about whether Twitter was going to go away. And I tweeted out, you know, in case Twitter's not here tomorrow, The Sandlot was a great movie. You know, uh, a hot dog's not a sandwich. 
and uh, I'll be over on Instagram, and I linked my Instagram. Now, I don't generally drive a lot of traffic to my Instagram account, at John Canzano, if you want to see it. It's fine. It's public. You can go see it. <laughs> but I don't generally drive a lot of traffic, but I do post there almost every day. So Puck apparently took the hook and went there, and he scrolled through the photos, and Anna, you know what he found because he screenshotted a photo of you and I very early on our relationship, and he tweeted it out. And he's making fun of the fact that I have kind of like a Hawaiian shirt on, a beach shirt. It's kind of like missing some buttons, and so you can see some chest, you know. But I, he started giving me a hard time calling me like Hawaii Five O or hunky or whatever. And I was like, why are you looking at me? Look at Anna. Anna's in like a half shirt. Oh, what do you call boy. that? Crop top? Uh-huh. Is that what you call it? Something like that. Crop top in the thing. But Puck took a screenshot of it, guys, and he tweeted it out. <laughs> he's trying to. He's trying to... I don't know what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do? Make fun of me? I don't know. I saw it. Is it embarrassing? It is for me because, you know, that's not my normal wardrobe these days. Although, I, I walk around and, I, you know, you'll see girls like walking to high school dressed in half shirts like that. And you were on vacation in the picture. Moly. I was on vacation that's not, that's in a not, tropical location. We're not so. going to work right there. <laughs> you know, they're not seeing me like in sweatpants in a sweatshirt making 14 calls to history experts all morning <laughs> you know they're they're not seeing you in a sweatshirt and a, your hair in a bun i know you know i'm just saying i miss the abs in the in that picture mine i mean yeah. you both look great the only thing the question i had was i mean maybe one button too much there john but <laughs> that was it but you put, you pull it off like it's not it's not bad, but just maybe one button too much. I don't know. It's the, what gets me is the, the smoldering look. Uh, damn right, it's smoldering. You know, Alex Molden, former Oregon Duck, NFL defensive back. He, if you look on the Instagram photo, uh-huh. and you look at the comments on that post, yeah. he put a he put in, "Hey now." <laughs> So, uh, you know, be hey. careful what you put on your gram. Well, the the problem I have is I didn't expect my sports people to ever be on the Instagram. So I posted that photo long time ago thinking this is just going to be for my very close friends and if I die, people will say, "Hey, wasn't in bad shape once upon a time." <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is all this is what it's all about. Okay? Yeah. It's like a time capsule. But I don't know. Peter's been very quiet on this subject. Is he? He's probably gone down the rabbit hole. I I haven't. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't know if it would be embarrassing. Like it was on your Instagram, right? Like it's yeah. a public social media. It's not so- that embarrassing. Yeah. I'm not what's ashamed he, of it. Yeah, but what's he trying to do? I don't know. He's trying to. He's trying to shame me. I think. Jealousy. How dare you have been really happy in a beautiful place a while ago? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I told him on air, I said, why are you looking at me? Look at my wife. Uh-huh. She's smoking hot in this photo. Like, why are you giving me a hard time? You shouldn't have even noticed me. I'm just glad that we took a photo so we could actually capture that that is how I once looked. <laughs> my pre-baby body. Like, yes, we set up. Like, I think that photo was taken with a camera. Like yeah. An actual, actual camera. physical camera with a timer. That had a self timer on it. That's how we, old that I, photo. We is. set it on a chair. Yeah. And then I looked smolderingly at the chair. 
It's like I see old pictures of myself and I have hair in it, and my kids are like, "Oh, you had hair? That's kind of weird." <laughs> they don't know. They don't know that side of you. No. Who's that? Who's that guy? It's not All bad. Right. Coming up, we will have the five at five, uh, and I'm not ashamed of the photo. If you want to go to my Instagram, you're welcome to have at it. But uh, we'll have the five at five coming up. Five biggest stories going on. We've got a little bit of news in that five at five. We always do. And a little bit of silliness. I will ask Stephen and Peter to give us something that did not belong in the five at five. The not five at five will come up uh, immediately afterwards. We'll have some fun with that. And then John Wilner, the Bay Area News Group, will be along to talk about the Pac-12 in the happy hour. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. You got anything embarrassing on your Instagram, Stephen? Mm, no. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I don't think that I do. <laughs> I was just scrolling through mine, and the thing that strikes me is how often I've posted crying out loud and then not only that like the kids are growing like you don't realize it when you see your own kids every day you know you always see other people's kids and you go wow look how big they got uh i'm looking back at like you know the daughters wasn't that long ago well are, are most of your pictures of you or your family That's the mostly my family and then a lot of sports right. and a lot of stadiums and a lot of things i'm thinking about when it comes to sport i'm doing a better job on instagram you know who got to me uh marcus harvey at portland gear Mm. He does a he, they do a remarkable job yeah. on their Instagram. He told me a few months ago. He said you get you need to pick up your Instagram game. Like you need to raise your game. And we talked for about 20 minutes and about it and uh it, he was immensely helpful because I just I started posting more and posting about the things I care about and I'm thinking about, which is the point. Well, I guess so, maybe I'll give you a follow since you're good at it now. Give me a follow if you want. If you don't, it's okay, too. I'm just going to post anyways. I mean, so. I follow Anna, so I think I get the gist of the family. So you, Anna's going to be, like, way more into kind of what you're doing. I'm just not one of these people who likes to post kind of the illusion of what's going on. Like, if there's some chaos going on, I will I will show it. but uh, Or I'll talk about it. Like, I, I have taken I have taken videos before. Remember when the wildfires hit? I took a video when the wildfires hit. I could barely breathe. I was outside. It was all smoky in the sky. Remember those times, people? Yeah. yeah not, not fun. Uh, we're going to do the 5 at 5. John Wilner's going to be along. We have so much to talk about. Uh, we have a show tomorrow as well, a Wednesday show. It'll be our last show of the week.
because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, we're not going to have Peter and Stephen working on this show on Thanksgiving or on Black Friday. I didn't mention I'm thankful for that. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. Like, we don't want, you know, I want people spending time with their families. I don't want them saying, hey, you know what, I have to leave Thanksgiving dinner because uh, we got to do a radio show. Or who's going to put on the radio show on Thanksgiving? That you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be looking for me on Thanksgiving. I'm not going to be there for you. That's what I'm saying. I'll be there every other time. Uh, let's do the five at five. We got the five biggest stories going on. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com. Well, the college football playoff rankings are out. Let's talk Pac 12 teams ranked in the CFP. USC's at number six, looking outside in right now on the four-team invitational tournament. Oregon's sitting at nine. The Ducks in the top ten still. Washington at 13. Utah's at 14. UCLA's at 18. Anybody paying attention in the Pac-12 knows that those things are all out of order. I'll, I'll accept Washington at 13, but I think UCLA's better than Utah right now, today. At 21, Oregon State feels a little low to me. I think you could put Oregon State into the teens and you'd get no argument from most people nationally. But the rankings are out and the Pac-12 well represented with six teams in the top 21. How about them apples? Speaking of apples, the Apple Cup will have a happy coach coaching in it. Washington's Kalen DeBoer got a raise. He's going to get a million dollar raise next season. He was at $3.2 million for next season. He'll make a cool $4.2 million. Among uh, the other things, his buyout, $12 million. It's a two-year contract extension. They're tacking two years on. DeBoer, by the way, is 48, in case anybody's wondering. He'll also get a $500,000 retention bonus if he is still the Huskies coach on March the 15th, 2024. It would be a happy St. Patrick's Day for Kalen DeBoer. Speaking of Patrick's, how about Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs? Have you been watching him this season? People have said, oh, he hasn't been as good as he's been in other years. Yeah, he's made some mistakes. The uh, sixth-year quarterback has thrown some interceptions. But if you look at the NFL odds right now to win the Super Bowl, you see some of the same teams there, and by some of the same teams, I mean the Kansas City Chiefs have been a Super Bowl favorite, or at least in the top two or three, for five straight years now. They are currently sitting as the number two favorite to win the Super Bowl. They're at plus 470, behind Buffalo at plus 400. The Eagles at plus 550, that's five and a half to one. And the 49ers are sitting at 7-1. to one. Niners were just 14-1 to one, uh, two weeks ago. So the Niners moving up, uh, especially after that win last night in Mexico City. Speaking about... No, I, I don't have a Mexico City reference. Uh, let's talk about Argentina. Argentina suffered a shocking defeat to Saudi Arabia today. 2-1 to one loss. The result will go down as one of the greatest upsets in the history of the World Cup. Tremendous upset. No excuses. 
By the way, Saudi Arabia trailed Argentina by 48 places in the team world rankings. The Saudi Arabian manager, Hervé Renard, suggested afterwards that there may have been a lack of motivation on behalf of Argentina. The Argentinian players say uh, they do not take their opponents lightly. They had a 36-match unbeaten run. They have now been knocked off in Group C of the World Cup qualifying matches. Finally, let's talk a little bit about Tiger. Tiger Woods. He's on top of the PGA Tour's Player Impact Program once again. He's only played nine rounds, three major championships this last season. But he gets the bonus in the PGA Tour's Player Impact Program. N number one golfer Rory McIlroy told the AP that he finished second to Tiger Woods. He kind of let the cat out of the bag. It's a $100 million bonus program that is designed to reward members who generate positive interest in the PGA Tour. Tiger Woods gets $15 million. That's right, more than he's earned playing this year. 23 players received at least $2 million in bonuses. Hideki Matsuyama, Cameron Young, Sam Burns among them. By the way, Rory, Rory McIlroy got $12 million for finishing second. Jordan Spieth got $9 million for being third. And the PGA Championship winner, Justin Thomas, got $7.5 million for being fourth in the player impact rankings. By the way, you know how they, you know how they rank these players? That's our 5 at 5, but you know how they rank the players? They, they uh, rank the player popularity in Google searches, their Q rating, Nielsen brand exposure rating, MVP index rating, whatever that is, and their meltwater mentions, which measure the frequency that a player generates coverage across media platforms. Tiger Woods apparently winning on the meltwater mention scale. <laughs> the Pac-12 wins on the meltwater mention scale in this show. But um, that's how, you, like, Tiger just needs to wake up. What do you have to do today to get this $15 million bonus? I just need to be Tiger Woods. That's what he has to do. People, the Google search rating alone gives him a huge advantage. Uh, really interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, five players who finished in the top ten last year are not receiving bonuses because they're on the LIV golf circuit. Do you think the PGA is going to use this uh, PIP, this player impact uh, poll, to penalize the LIV players, like year in and year out? Hey, you can go, I guess, but if people are Googling, Googling, Googling you, you're not going to get paid for it. Yeah, I think uh, the PGA is going to do whatever they can to try to influence everyone coming back to the PGA Tour. So I think they'll use it against them, for sure. It's really interesting. People are talking about Deion Sanders to Colorado as a possibility. Guys, do you think this is a good move if Colorado is serious about Neon Dion, or do you think this is just, uh, you know, what agents do in driving up uh, the market value for a for a coach? I mean, if if they could get him, it'd be great, but he's not going to Colorado. He, he's going to stay in, he's going to, you know, South Florida is also talking to him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's where he's want to go. I could see a different SEC school maybe, but Florida's home. That's where Dion's going to be. He wants like, go ahead, Steven. Oh, I was going to say, it's a, I think it's a good risk. If Colorado really has interest in Dion and Dion has interest in Colorado, it's a good risk to take, but I just don't see it happening. 
I don't see it happening either. I think he's using them. And even if he takes the job, how long is he staying there? Because the minute Florida State is open, Dion's the higher if he has success. But let's let's shift the calculus here. Let's think about coaches who have left Oregon. Chip Kelly leaves Oregon, struggles afterwards. Sure, he made a boatload of money, but he hasn't had the success that he had at Oregon. Willie Taggart leaves Oregon, gets fired at Florida State. Chip, uh, excuse me, Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon, goes to Miami where he is really struggling. Um, there are bad moves that coaches make. Is it a bad move for Dion to go to Colorado where there isn't like proof of performance and, and sustained success? Well, what would what would the realistic expectations be for Dion? Like year two, year three, they're competing for Pac-12 title games. Like I don't know what the expectations would be there. I do think they'd be high. So I don't know. I think I think it would be a good choice for Dion because he'd be able to get those good athletes. And I think Colorado is desperate for a winner because they have a good history of football. Uh, I, I think it is a good choice actually for both parties involved. I just don't know if Dion's willing to go out to the West, uh, being the Pac-12. I'm looking back at the bowl history because you can measure kind of like where are the expectations by saying, okay, what kind of bowls does Colorado play in? And, you know, they this was a program that played in Alamo Bowl, Fiesta Bowls, you know, uh, you know, Blockbuster Bowls, Orange Bowls back in the 90s and early 2000s. But if you look at Colorado football since 2008, they've played in two bowl games in 15 seasons. Both of them Alamo Bulls, both of them losses. And, in fact, you know, you look at the ability for this program to win eight-plus games since, let's go all the way back to 2004. They've had one season since 2004 where they've won more than six games. One season. So if you're Dion and you go there and you make them a consistent, you know, in year two they're a 7-8 win team, fans are probably going to be happy with that, right? They would be, but can you do it? Think about the coaches who have come through there. Dan Hawkins took it over from Gary Barnett. Hawkins uh, got fired and, you know, disappeared. John Embry took it over from Hawkins, lasted two years, went 1-11, disappeared. Mike McIntyre took it over from Embry. Uh, McIntyre had some success. He, You know, he had a 10-win season, so that's that's their win. They went to an Alamo Bowl. They went 10-4 and four went in the 2016. Game. They played in the Pac-12 Championship game. They got passed over for the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, people may remember they played Washington in the Pac-12 Championship game because Washington went to the playoff. The Rose Bowl didn't have to take the runner-up in that game. The Rose Bowl got to pick whoever they wanted, and they took USC. USC happened to have wins over Colorado and Washington that year. And so they took USC, and USC ended up going to the Rose Bowl in the, that 2016 season. But uh, McIntyre ends up leaving, and, you know, nobody hears from him. Then Mel Tucker comes in last one season and says, to hell with this, I'm going to Michigan State where I have some resources. He uh, His salary doubled from Colorado. He went from $3 million to $6 million. His salary pool for his assistance doubled. Then Carl Durrell took over. It hasn't been easy for these coaches, guys. Like So, Stephen, if you're Dion's agent, do you tell him, yeah, you can go there and win eight games and they'll throw a parade for you, or do you tell him this has been a career killer for some guys? Yeah, I think if I'm the agent, I'm using it as leverage, right, to see if Colorado is – if they're serious and they're willing to give out some money, I think Dion can use it for his advantage. Um 
But if I'm Dion, like, I feel like Colorado is a place where you can win if you get the right players in there. And I think Mike McIntyre proved it. Like, is he a great coach? I don't know that he's a great coach, but he really rebuilt that program, got him to the Pac-12 championship game. If Dion gets the right guys in there, I think the Pac-12 is open to, you know, get towards the top. I, I just wonder if he's – let's just say – is it better for him to go to Colorado, better to go to South Florida, or better to stay right where he is and wait for a no-brainer job? I would say wait, right? Because yeah. I don't I don't think South Florida is the job either. I mean, that place yep. has been a dumpster fire lately. Um, I know MLC wants to stay just in Florida and, like, try to wait till Mike Norvell gets fired, but Florida State is in the top – I think there's 16 in the college football playoff. Like, that thing's turned around a little bit, so – yeah, I think I, if I'm Dion, I'm either, you know, I'm waiting it out or, you know, I think I'm trying to, if I had to choose between USF and Colorado, I'm going to Colorado, but I would wait it out. Yeah, I think I think he'd do better if he waits. I, I don't think Colorado's a no-brainer for him. And look at Mike McIntyre. He was the guy who had the most success there in the last 15 years. So he had a 10-win season, and then he eventually, uh, over time, got fired. Okay, so uh, McIntyre, after he leaves Colorado, becomes the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Then he goes to Memphis as the D coordinator. Then two years later, just this last season, this offseason, he got a, another job at FIU, okay, Florida International University. He's now getting back in the game. He's starting over. Like, it, that's what – I think Dion's got to be really careful, probably more careful than Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart, Chip Kelly, because I think if Dion fails at Colorado, he's in trouble. Leave it here. Get the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I put out a poll a little bit ago on the show. I put it out on Twitter. And it's really interesting to kind of look at the results. I'm going to ask our next guest about it. But I asked if you have to vote, you have to vote on one of the coaches that I'm going to mention as the Pac-12 Coach of the Year, who gets your vote today? And the candidates are Lincoln Riley of USC, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, and Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Those are the four I picked. And the results are interesting. Maybe it's reflective of the people who follow me on Twitter, but 3,100 people have voted so far in this hour. And Jonathan Smith at Oregon State is leading with 41% of the vote. Kalen DeBoer is second at 26%. Dan Lanning is third at 24%. And Lincoln Riley is only getting 8% of the vote, despite having the best record in the Pac-12. Here to talk about it, John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I have to say that is not the poll that I would have expected you to put out. I would have figured it was Thanksgiving side dishes. <laughs> I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not an exotic guy on Thanksgiving. I'm a mashed potatoes stuffing, some kind of Jello slash cranberry, maybe a salad. Let's keep it simple, guy. I don't know. Are, do you get exotic? I do not, and I I just stay focused on two or three things, and I don't even worry about everything else. Yeah, right? everything. Give me yeah. turkey and uh, stuffing, and you know we we have. Um, uh, sweet potato. That's it. That's all I, I like need. That. I told Anna, I, uh, our big thing is I just like to have lots of turkey leftovers. So I told her, 
instead of getting like you know a, a nice sized turkey, get two turkeys. So we're doing two turkeys. Oh yeah, there you go. Got to. Uh, Wilner, on that, I'm voting for DeBoer. I'm voting for DeBoer. Okay, tell me, tell me why DeBoer. Um, well, for one thing, I mean, you could certainly make a good case for all of them. Uh, Wiley, you know, he's got the best talent, arguably. Uh, Smith has done the most with what he's got, and some of this depends on how you define coach of the year, right? Is it is it record and performance? Is it what you do with what you have? Smith would win almost every year if it's what you do with what you've got. Uh, but I would pick DeBoer. I mean, he beat he beat Smith head-to-head, uh, and I just did not. They were 4-8 last year. To me, you know, 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five was probably a, a pretty good projection for the Huskies, and here they are 9-2. Chance to be 10-2, chance to get the championship game. I would, I, he, to me, is the, is the middle ground between – you know, the coach who does the most with what they have and the coach who's got the best record and results. Is why do you it surprised me that Lincoln Riley was last and the comments yeah, everybody are, hates USC. Yeah. Is do you think it's that simple? I think a lot of it is. Plus they assume that he's got the best players and and the Big Ten thing and just everybody hating USC. Do you the think the interesting thing yeah. is, you know, they that actually bore out uh like four, what, five years ago now, 2017, USC won the conference title, beat Stanford twice, and David Shaw got coach of the year over Clay Helton. <laughs> Do you think that if Lincoln Riley wins the Pac-12 championship game and makes the playoff, that the coaches in the conference will vote similarly to the players, or excuse me, as, as the fans that are voting in my poll, do you think it'll be anybody but Lincoln Riley for Coach of the Year? Boy, um, I think if the, if Washington gets in the championship game, I think that he would have a shot. I don't think that they would pick Lanning over Riley in that case, but maybe DeBoer. Uh, it's tough because, you know, for the coaches, it's partly political. They're thinking about recruiting, right? And they don't want to prop up a, a rival coach if they can avoid it. And it gets personal. We saw that with Mario Cristobal a few times. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my guess is if SC sitting there 12-1, the only guy who could possibly beat him out would be, would be DeBoer. But, you know, they may end up picking SC, picking Riley. John Wilner is with us, uh, Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com, if you'd like to read him. I was talking about David Shaw in the last segment. I want to ask you about some of the coaching vacancies, but let's start with Shaw, who uh, is still at Stanford. Um, it wasn't that long ago, Wilner, that this conference was sort of, uh, you know, lifting up the idea that it was very diverse. It it had Jimmy Lake. It had a Willie Taggart. It had uh, David Shaw and Herm Edwards and and uh, Carl Durrell, and now I look at this conference and I see a lot of white coaches and David Shaw. Um, is it, Would there be additional pressure, do you think, on Stanford me, to keep Shaw because of the diversity angle? Well, if there is, then it's internal, right? I don't think Stanford's going to get pressure from the conference or the schools on that front. They may feel it internally. Um, 
But it is interesting how, how things have changed on that front. And, and right, I mean, ASU and Colorado have vacancies, and we don't know who they're going to hire. But if they do hire white coaches, then Shaw would be the only black coach in football, and there are zero in men's basketball. And have been zero black coaches in men's basketball for uh, it's either four or five years in a row right now. So there definitely is a lack of diversity in those two sports with the head coaches. There's no, no doubt about it. Colorado, there's been some reports about Deion Sanders to Colorado. If you're Deion Sanders' agent, is that a good move for Deion Sanders? It is if it bumps up your price for the job you really want, probably. That's my guess. <laughs> if they're using, I don't think Deion Sanders wants to go to Colorado, but he certainly would use it for leverage with other gigs, whether it's Auburn or something else, right? I mean, that to me, man, I'm not sure that's a great fit. You know, uh, Colorado is not an easy job at all. And part of it's because of where it is and the lack of in-state talent. It's a two-hour flight to Dallas, and it's a two-hour flight to L.A. for recruiting. And, you know, they they have a hard time getting transfers in because of the way the school deals with the academic side of of transferring units and credits. I I don't see it. Uh, I see it as a leverage play by Sanders and his his agent. Uh, Colorado, to me, uh, I keep hearing that they may end up going with, you know, a Bronco Mendenhall or a Tom Herman or a Gary Patterson, a guy who's won at the high level uh, and is currently not a head coach somewhere else. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. It is... would be a lot more fun if Deion Sanders were in the conference. Yeah, I think it would be great for us, uh, and, and I think great. it would be great for, be the, great conference. for the conference. That need, the conference needs some fun yeah yeah it does and the conference needs personality and he would be great for, for he'd be great for us but how long would he stay because i keep thinking the minute uh a big time job opens up dion's out the door well yeah and that's the thing if you're in colorado you've had uh like mcintyre mel tucker you've had you're going on your fourth coach in basically five years six years you need stability and Dion is absolutely out. The first job that opens up in the southeastern quadrant of the country in the SEC or ACC, he's leaving. Um, so that's that's part. You got to be part of your calculation if you're Colorado. Is what are you going to? Are you going to be able to keep him? Are you going to be able to pay him what he wants now? And then are you going to be able to pay him what he's going to ask for when he's done another job offer? So to me, it doesn't make sense on a lot of fronts. But it's it's good fodder, and if it if it happens, it'd be great great for the conference. Since Mike Leach left, there hasn't been quite as much personality at the head coaching level. Yeah, we we need uh, we need that as we need some personality in the conference. I don't care if, if they hire somebody good, they better hire somebody interesting. Uh, that's, right. that's what I'm after. Um, Wilner, let me ask you, because there's some games coming up this weekend that, you know, I'm still a little bit on the fence with. And uh, when I'm talking about the point spread, I want to believe UCLA is going to show up at Cal in the regular season finale. It's a weird regular season finale, but Cal's coming off the big game, which they won. UCLA is coming off a big loss against USC in their rivalry game. Do you think that UCLA has something to play for in this game? No, I think their season's over. I mean, they're out of the Pac-12 hunt. They, you know, they've lost two in a row. 
Uh, they can't make the title game. I don't think they've got much to play for, right? Uh, I That's why I like Cal plus all those points. I thought 10 points is the line. You know, it's Cal's home finale. They're usually pretty good as an underdog. And I just think UCLA's going to, you know, be, you know, a no-show practically. I wouldn't be surprised if Cal wins the game outright. Washington at Washington State. I'm checking the weather. It's going to be below freezing. It's the Apple freeze. Uh, I'm I'm picking Washington State in this game, 30 to 28. Uh, despite Kalen DeBoer being a fantastic coach and getting a raise, how are you seeing the Apple Cup? Yeah, um, that was interesting. You got that contract extension. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I think it's going to be close. I also uh, wonder about Washington's state of mind a little bit. I'm sure they're motivated after the Cougars planted their flag at Husky Stadium last year after that big win. But, you know, they're going to know. The Huskies are going to know that game's at 7.30. Once the Oregon-Oregon State game ends, Washington's going to know if they got a chance to make the Pac-12 championship. And if the Ducks win and the, the Huskies can't make the championship, I, I wonder what kind of impact that's going to have on their, their state of mind to a certain extent. But I think it'll be real close. I think if, if Washington's playing for the title, I, I like the Huskies to win that game. But otherwise, last possession wins. I should, it should be fun, especially if there's snow. Yeah, I think it's going to be wild. That one's going to be wild. The, uh, the game that we've been talking about, Civil War game with Oregon and Oregon State at Reeser Stadium. Um, the biggest factor in that game, is it Bo Nix? Can he suddenly, you know, can, can they do a karate kid healing move and get him ready to ready to go again or how do you see the Oregon Oregon State game well I see this being a matchup issue for Oregon State uh to me the way to beat Oregon we saw it Washington did it you got to take advantage of Oregon secondary and and throw the ball all over the field I think the Ducks are pretty good against the run and Oregon State's offense is based on the run. So to me, this game gets down to whether Ben Golbranson is going to be able to make a ton of plays from the pocket uh, against Oregon's secondary and whether he's going to be able to avoid mistakes. Right? We saw last week the two biggest games of the week, right? Oregon-Utah, USC-UCLA. One team's quarterback threw, what, three interceptions. UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, three picks. Cam Rising, three picks. Those teams lost. In these big games... Your quarterback can't make the mistakes. So I'm, I look at it like, which of those two quarterbacks, assuming next plays, who's more likely to make a, a bunch of mistakes? And to me, it's Goldbranson. Wilner, I want to ask you kind of about the bowl picture. Uh, with Washington at 13 and Oregon at 9, uh, is there a path here for the Pac-12 to get a playoff team and two other New Year's Six participants? with, you know, 9 and 13, the quick 20,000-foot view of this, how are you seeing the Pac-12's positioning for those big-time bowl games? I do not think that they can get three. Uh, to me, that's if, if SC gets in the playoff, then somebody's going to go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, if SC, you know, it could end up in the Cotton Bowl. The Part of the problem is there's only one at-large spot. It's in the Cotton Bowl to play the group of five champs, so let's say it's Cincinnati. That's it. 
just because of the way the semifinals broke when they're when they're in the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, like this year, there's there's only one at-large spot available for for Power Five team, and I just can't see. And I, I haven't looked hard uh, closely at the standings. You know, Alabama's sitting there yep. with two losses, and that they're if they, if they beat Oregon, Alabama, uh, Auburn, Alabama's going to be ten and two and sitting there. And I don't think that another Pac-12 team, a third team, is going to be able to get above Alabama to claim that spot in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it'll be that'll be a fun matchup too to see Alabama against a group of five champ in a game like that. Uh, all right, I want to tell you I'm thankful for you. Wilner, uh, the Konzano and Wilner podcast, if people aren't already listening to it or subscribe to it, grab that podcast. Wilner and I have been posting uh, generally two episodes a week. We've been interviewing some big guests. We've got some big guests coming down the pipeline, but we've been all over the Pac-12 media rights and all that stuff. Uh, make sure you subscribe to it. Wilner, before I let you go, uh, UCLA, this, this Regents decision coming up on the 14th, have you heard anything new? Any new whispers? Any new murmurs? What are you What are you looking at right now? I think the most likely outcome at this point is that UCLA gets hit with some kind of tax called the UCLA tax or a Cal subsidy. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if it gets blocked, but I, I think the Regents are going to have UCLA pay Cal a certain amount of money uh, every year to compensate Cal for for lost revenue. Now, whether that's three million, five million. I'm not quite sure, but to me, that outcome is much more likely than the Regents blocking it uh, altogether. So we'll see. December 14th, we'll know. I would imagine sometime soon after that, the Pac-12 will try to finish up their media rights deal. So maybe before Christmas, this whole thing is, is finalized. John Wilner, have a great Thanksgiving. I will catch you later in the week. Thanks for everything. There it is, John Wilner. Bay Area News Group. Find them at the Pac12Hotline.com. Uh, some parting thoughts coming up. Uh, Peter Sampson and the Pulse. Is that coming up next after in Portland? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you got, Peter? What's on the show? Uh, we're going to talk this Ben Simmons revenge game. I've been waiting. For, I can't even tell you how long. What, a year and a half now for him to get back to Philly? We're going to break that down. And there's a uh, certain book publisher in trouble with some uh, shady dealings they're doing. I want to talk about Ooh. that as well. All right. I'm interested in that. Leave it here. you got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we are on Thanksgiving Eve Eve, which means there is a uh, Civil War, the game formerly known as the Civil War game, coming up on Saturday. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. Uh, I want to be clear, like, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, when you've hit a topic that a lot of people are thinking about and talking about. And I, as a writer, you know it. As a radio show host, you know it. It's evident that people care about this game, this rivalry, what it's called, the history of it. People are annoyed that Oregon and Oregon State removed the name without having a solution in place. Um, it it's not a good look. And I don't want to get into, and I hope that, you know, my aim in writing a column about this today was not to, like, 
join like ignite a big political debate or historical debate like you know these are not things i want to get into and i'm not an expert on history and i'm not an expert on politics but so i went in search of people who were experts on civil war history i've now communicated with somebody at oregon university of oregon who is their civil war historian and expert and oregon state civil war historian and expert and University of New Hampshire Civil War expert who's one of the foremost authorities in the country on the Civil War. And what I really was interested in, you know, it, it's not the full picture. I just want to know what the Civil War was about. Because we, you and I can debate it and we can say, oh, it was about ending slavery or it was about promoting slavery or it was about, you know, depending on the Confederate or the Union side of point of view. Uh, but to get an expert to say, no, it was actually here, you know, President Lincoln was, you know, trying to limit slavery in new states as they emerged with new states in the United States of America as the country expanded west. He wanted to make slavery illegal. And the Confederate states said, this is bad. He's going to abolish slavery. And the Union states were standing their ground. And the historians agree that I have communicated with that, that obviously slavery is in the middle of this. But they don't view the Civil War as a war bent on perpetuating slavery. In fact, the one I quoted said that is uh, one way to look at it, I guess. But wars have multiple reasons for being fought. And you could e just as easily say that the Civil War was a war that was fought against slavery. So the bigger question is, was the origin of the Civil War rooted in the actual American Civil War? And it turns out it was not, even though there are some tentacles and people may have thought over the years about the Civil War. But I, I guess what I would ask you and I asked myself this question as I sat down today to write it. A lot of people won't touch this subject. They won't. They won't write about it. Uh, other media members, they won't write about it. They won't talk about it. They won't. They don't want to put it on TV. They, they don't want to touch it because it's dicey. They could say the wrong thing. They could get in trouble. I'm not afraid of saying the wrong thing, getting in trouble, because I know where I come from on this subject. And it's not that, you know, when I always thought about Oregon and Oregon State, and people said Civil War, I thought about all the different Civil Wars that were fought globally in different countries over geography and wealth and, you know, different politics and a lot of Civil Wars. And I thought, this just means that this rivalry means something. And the historian at the University of New Hampshire said, you know, unless the cheerleaders are dressing in Confederate uniforms, that it probably just means that the, the rivalry means something to people. I could tell you it does, based on the feedback I got. Read it at johnconzano.com. Jump in the comment section. It's a fantastic discussion. And leave it here on 750 The Game as Peter Sampson and The Pulse are next.